Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for taking a minute to click the button and download this episode. If you haven't got it set up to do that, uh, welcome to episode 33 of the Mosby Learning Podcast. We have uh, we have a new voice here to the Mosby Airwaves, and then uh, and then a couple that you've already heard a bunch of times before, but we've got some fun stuff to talk about, and we're going to go through all the... Uh, we have three articles. Adam's got a special... Myers Briggs thing prepared for us, <laughs> um, and you can get all the uh, all the show notes for this at mosby.ca/slash zero three three. And if you didn't know who I am, my name is Dan Hurt, and I'm calling in from Mississauga, Ontario. Well, thanks, Dan. I'm Adam Costix. I'm calling in from Dallas, Texas, and was trying to get out of the Myers Briggs article uh, prior <laughs> to the show, but yep. uh, apparently that has sealed its fate. We will be talking about Myers Briggs this episode. Good luck, jerk. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and I am Ryan Anderson calling in from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, Ryan. Happy to have you, man. Um, you have, and you've got your own podcast, don't you? You've got uh, the uh, the Durson Football Podcast. That's correct. Durson Football Podcast. Uh, you can find it anywhere you uh, listen to your podcast. Also on YouTube, if you search the Durson Network, it's D-E-R-S-O-N. You can find all the podcasts and additional videos on there. My God, you've got your own network. The That's that. Network. Hey, not- fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> it's not a, not a competition, but uh, but you're doing well if it were. That's uh, that's good, man. Good on you. That is uh, awesome. Hey, so so Brian, real quick, what what is it about? It's po- it's football. It's a podcast. Yep. Give, so, give us the summary. Well, so, no, I think you nailed it there, Adam. Well that's done. It. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, no, it's a little more specific. Uh, we specifically specifically talk about the National Football League. Uh, you know, football is pretty vague. You talk college, but we stick to the NFL and we have different fans on for from different teams and we discuss their background, how, how they became a fan of a certain team. And then we talk about anything NFL news, notes, game predictions, fantasy football, all that good stuff. So fans like like face painters, belly painters, the guys that you know do their entire belly. Yeah, we haven't had any Super like of those famous guys you see that okay. on TV every week, but um, yeah, definitely some big time fans on the show for sure. Very nice, very cool. Good on you, man. Um, well, we're, we're happy to have you here. We have um, the. I mean, I don't need to spell out the connection between football and the L and D world. <laughs> uh, that that should be obvious to anybody that's listening. So <laughs> we are gonna we are gonna try to find those overlaps where possible, and uh, and I think it's gonna be fairly easy because Ryan, you've got some experience with sales as well, um, and, a, and a bit of your nine to five, uh, and and sales training is something that I think I want to touch on a little bit later because Adam, you've been doing sales and sales training for um, God since since God was a boy. And uh, and I've I've dabbled in uh, some sales training as well, so we'll we'll probably touch on that a little bit later on. Uh, if you want to send us an email, uh, Adam, what's the best way to do that? You can do MosbyLearning at gmail dot com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter too for all those people that tweet Mosby. Yes, Learning. that's that's good. Twitter is Twitter is a horrible horrible place to be but if you <laughs> if you want to see the three tweets that we've got out there go ahead um do we have any emails i don't know have you checked recently i, I keep telling people checked. yeah i keep telling people to send us email so there's probably a pile of them it's like probably, the cbs yes. mailbag yes there's not there's okay. not a <laughs> okay. single one but we've yeah. confirmed good yes. great any nigerian princes nothing <laughs> 
<laughs> no, there's not. Not not All currently right. at this time. I'll okay. I'll double check it though. That's a shame. Yeah, yes. maybe check in the show during the show, and then maybe. Maybe one will pop in there. Um, all right. So there were there were a few articles that we agreed to uh, to talk about. And uh, before we get into that, there's one small like occasionally we do a social media update. Um, there was there was a post about instructional designer. Hmm interviews i guess uh portfolios, portfolios. yeah that I, that I put up on linkedin um a week or so ago and it it seemed to garner a bit of attention you know relative to to my post it did fairly well probably the top uh top five which is well that's really not saying much but it happened so um and this kind of came from a couple conversations that you and i had had adam and some experience and some of the posts that i had seen on linkedin and there seemed to be a handful of people out there that were posting and it's funny because now i can't see any of them but um a handful of people that were posting about uh, instructional designer positions that they had interviewed for that they felt it seemed to be they said they felt offended if i've got this right offended that they were asked for a work sample or to create something for the position um and they were they were awful upset about this now uh, yeah 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 yeah. I, and, and the thing was, I wasn't entirely sure why. I mean, you can spin any scenario to, to uh, there, there's a bunch of different ways anything can play out. And some of them can be not pleasant scenarios. But when I put the question out there to, to the, the LinkedIn world, just saying, hey, like, should instructional designers who are those people that create PowerPoint decks and uh, live learning engagements and, and webinar outline, all those sort of things and job aids, they create all sorts of stuff. Um, should it be expected for an interview that they have something to prove they know what they're doing? And it didn't seem like a, an absurd request and everybody kind of agreed. So. Where are these people coming from? Where are these people that are so upset about this? Where the hell is it? Where, what's their deal? Yeah, I think it was a couple people, right? So I think there was a there's there's two, a couple lines of thought on there, right? There's the people that said organizations were asking me to create something that they were actually stealing their property, and I'm like, okay, I get that. That's not what we're talking about, and that sucks. Like that's the worst thing ever, right? There was a couple of people that said, hey, they did this project, and the company was basically just trying to screw them out of the the work, right, and not get yes get the project done. And I totally agree with that. The thing that I hear a lot though, and you know, I interview quite a few people. I've been talking to a lot of instructional designers over this last year. Is Brag. my current company doesn't allow me to get that information. It's proprietary information. So what can I do? And I would argue, why not put a portfolio together, right? So if you say Mm -hmm. you're a podcaster, you should have a podcast. If you say you're an instructional designer or even a graphic artist, why not put a portfolio together? It's free to do most of that stuff, right? You can put things together. And it's an excuse that I've gotten out quite a few times of, hey, my company doesn't allow me to share materials. I'm not looking for their materials. In fact, I I don't care to see their materials from their company. What I'm looking for is, can they actually do the work? Can they use some of the tools? Do they have the design chops? Do they have the instructional chops to do things? And I could care less if it's showing me how to bake a cake for a job aid or an actual job aid from your current company. Um, And so I think there's that, that excuse comes up a lot. And then the third one that I was hearing kind of, and it did come up in your thread and your, and your comments there is 
I'll tell a company if they want me to do extra work, they can pay me and here's what my consulting fee is um, or my hourly fee to do work. I, I kind of struggled with that one a little bit too, because yeah. I just want to see your work as a hiring manager. I want to know that you can do it no different than if I was doing an, a facilitator, I have a facilitator do a quick presentation on a topic of their choosing. That's yeah, that, I, that, go ahead, Ryan. No, I just thought that was interesting. And I had a question for Adam. If do you, you know, with that second point that you made about how, they do things for work. Is there still pushback after, do you tell them, Hey, I'm not looking for your work material. I'm looking for personal pieces. Yeah, or is that, is that just cause they don't have the personal pieces? Either they generally don't have the personal pieces, right? So if there's any type of pushback, trust me, when somebody has a portfolio, they'll, which it does take a little bit of time. They put it on everything. They say, here's my portfolio. It's part of my resume, right? It's if I'm walking in somewhere, that's part of my resume. It's kind of like, you know, Ryan, you're, you're in sales, right? Mm-hmm. Is you have a brag book, right? And I can tell you in like my history of being in sales and whatnot, the reason I got a job in 2009, completely different industries was because I had a brag book. And what I mean by that is I had awards, ranking reports. I had mm-hmm. where I was at because it's like, Hey, you can sell. Well, can you really? Yeah, I can. Here's the book. Go read it. Let me go. Let me know when you have a chance to, you know, talk back. But at the end of the day, had something tangible to say I could do this job. Right. Uh, Ryan, can I ask you? I want to kind of come up with this from a different angle. Um, why did you create your podcast? Why? Why did you? Because I think that's a recent development for you. So, why did you create the uh, the Durson Football Podcast? So. It's kind of funny. The idea was essentially I was I love the NFL, obviously, and I'm a big fan. I watch all the games, but I was just on YouTube one day and saw a guy basically doing a game by game prediction of these games. And I thought this guy's not doing very much preparation and he's not that bad. Like, what could I do? So I started the YouTube channel initially, and that slowly morphed into the podcast because interesting. I wanted to have different guests on It made it easier to develop material and content by having the guests on. So I slowly transitioned and it's still on YouTube. But if you notice the first couple uh, videos on there, they're solo. So I slowly got more people to come on. But it was mainly because I've always been interested in doing something like this, whether it be, you know, when I was a kid, obviously there was radio and I had always thought about it. But I just never took that leap of faith and, you know, just tried it. So essentially, I had a little bit of extra time transitioning to basically work from home. I started it last uh, March, I think. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I was able I had a little bit of extra time. I was feeling creative, saw somebody else do it, and I just went for it. That's um, I mean, that's awesome. And and I think. You know, I don't think Mosby is is too far off of off of that track. One of the other reasons that I I tried to get into it and develop content on my own is to build my own brag book of sorts. You know, mm-hmm. and like you have become obviously a more interesting person when you talk to people. When you say, "Yeah, I've got a YouTube channel and a podcast," right? Um, so I, I think I think creating content on your own, especially in kind of a consistent manner, um, it. 
you know, it's 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 funny because I'm thinking about sales actually. When I was talking to um, when I was doing sales training a little bit, and I was trying to help people walk around the problem because I I would help uh, orient orientate. I would on, on I don't know new, <laughs> onboard, I would do, orientate orientation. Yeah. yeah, I would do new hire training for new sales uh, sales executives and sales um, sales reps. And the issue that a new sales rep has in a new organization is how do you? I mean, maybe you've got some established rapport with your current book, but when you're talking to new clients, how do you establish rapport with them, especially when you're at a new shop? Well, one of the ways that you can do it is by demonstrating consistency and reliability. And you can almost do those sort of things. You're building trust with a potential employer to go back to our instructional designer piece. You can demonstrate or, or at least have a, a simple analogy for trust by saying, look, I've consistently created these things or I've grown in how I create things or I can create this assortment of things. So you're kind of establishing a level of trust with them by showing you can do things. Um, and if you if you go somewhere with your with your pockets turned out and you're your hat in hand it's like well what how am i supposed to trust you i don't know you you know so i think it's a simple stand-in by by showing the materials you've created it's a simple stand-in for trust maybe i i don't know i don't know yeah i i i really do think it's something like if you can show some work that you've done or just created it it goes so much further it puts you at the top of the cannon pole let's put it that way because now i know that you did it or you can prove a little bit that you have some of those skills and you know i i don't know if i've ever told you a story uh you know a long time ago i uh i hired somebody that didn't know how to use a computer um and this was (laughs) big mess up um but i didn't <laughs> um, you horrible yeah and so this was you know 2004 and i i got a, a, an assistant in my branch and she was fantastic and she just did not know how to use a computer very well she word processed but you know we're also talking 2004 and that word processing was on a typewriter it wasn't really full windows at that point and so her skills looked great on paper but she couldn't do the actual job um my bad from a hiring perspective it did not work out but at the end of the day if somebody can show me that hey i have this project or i can create this e-learning i can create job aids i can create all this stuff or i had a podcast and i did video editing and i have things on youtube and it's i don't care claymation but i did the editing that gives me an idea of that, those skill sets that intangible skill set so I thought it was really interesting, though, some of those posts that said, hey, I'm not, I don't provide it. I don't have a, a, a portfolio and I'm not giving one. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bold strategy. We'll see how it plays out for him. Yes. Uh, all right. Let's uh, quickly, quickly. So what, so this Myers-Briggs thing. Why aren't we talking about this? Oh, no, we can talk about it. I just know it's a very, very long article. I thought it was super, really good. It is super long. It's it is like, super long. There's is a, actually long? some really good points into it. Um, Ryan, have you taken Myers-Briggs? I have. Okay. Do you know what you are? I am uh, high yellow, low blue. Are those colors? I don't know if that's Myers-Briggs. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of something else then. Could be your parachute. I know there's a parachute thing. I think to be, I'm the, I'm maybe the only one that remembers this parachute thing. What color is your parachute? Oh, I'm thinking of uh, MBS. Oh, okay. 
a yeah. different personality. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. so Myers-Briggs um, basically puts you into personality types. There's 16 different personality types, right? And so it, it generally starts with, you know, are you an extrovert or you're an introvert, right? And so like, for example, I'm an ENTP. I'm an extrovert. I use a lot of intuition in what I do. I use a lot of thinking versus feeling. Um, and then I also do a lot of perceiving um, or sometimes ENTJ. It just depends upon my situation there, but ENTJ or ENTP. And so there's these 16 classifications. Um, and this article, though, goes into why that's all bunk. <laughs> and it talks mm-hmm. about why Myers-Briggs is so bad, um, which, you know, I personally enjoy a lot of personality tests. You know, when I was in sales, I I use these stories all the time because I thought it was super helpful to understand people's tendencies Mm -hmm. and understand patterns. And, you know, I think about training when you have a training class and you get a live class, you know, pre COVID, we'd bring people in COVID people have different tendencies and they will for example, in that live training class where people sit the first day, if it's multiple days, they generally go back to the same exact spot that they sit in two days ago. Even if you say no assigned seating, they never move because their tendency is they get into patterns. And this article talks about all the reasons why, well, Myers-Briggs, which is one of the most popular ones, um, is not good. And so, Dan, have you taken Myers-Briggs? No. No, because it's all bullshit. Just kidding. I don't know. I don't know what it is. He said something in the article, though. He said it was worse than nothing. And that's kind of where I draw the line, because in sales as well, as a form of any personality test, as a form of to better understand maybe how you're whoever you're talking to would like to be communicated to, I think is. You know, I, I just can't get with the it's, it's worse than nothing aspect. Yeah. No, completely. Well, let me ask you, have you um, do you in like in your in your sales capacity? Uh, do you I know that you say you say you kind of apply it, but have you ever taken a course with the intention of trying to apply it to uh, to prospects or, you know, to, to navigate those conversations better? Yeah, or the have- the management by strengths and, you know, like the red being very direct. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget all the other colors. I think blue's analytical, like engineering, and then there's uh, yellow, which is more process driven. So, yeah, I have. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I and I can't remember. I, I've talked about. I'm I'm reading a book right now. I like to brag about the fact that I can read books. I don't yeah. know if that's usually that's, usually comes you, up on a. You, you can't say you can't say I listen to the book. No, this one yeah. I have to read. <laughs> some, some I listen, and then Dan um, will send you pictures of him I'm, reading. I'm the also book. listening to the uh, the the Great Train Robbery, guys. This is a great book. This is a great book. It's an if, audio if you, format. If, yeah, I, well, it's that's that's I'm listening to this one. If you've got Audible and you've got a spare credit, uh, just pick this one up because it is a winner, top to bottom. Um, that's not what I'm here to talk about. Uh, I'm here to talk about the draft. No, I'm here to talk about um, the, the other book that I'm reading, which is uh, Hacking Humans by Chris Hadnagy. Mm-hmm. And he's essentially um, a social engineer. Like he's we've talked about this, Adam. I can't remember. I don't believe so. OK, so he um, he's 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 a con man for hire. Basically, you can hire him to try to con your employees to uh, for him to try to, like, access your secure locations to uh, try to get, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, your employees to 
inadvertently uh, help install a virus on your computer system, all that sort of stuff. Like that's what he does for a living. People hire him to do this. And the book I'm reading right now, he gives like a two page primer on the front of it about disc. And it's, it's the exact same idea where like he uses it as a, I don't want to say crude or rudimentary because it's not, but as a way to quickly identify how to navigate conversations with different yes. people. And although his kind of intent is a little nefarious, um, but it's for a good re- good reason. Uh, it's the same idea. I mean, it, it's a framework to help you understand not only yourself, but other people that you interact with. So I just, to me, I find these objections, okay, maybe it's not the most scientific thing in the world uh, and you can't put it in a test tube and boil it down to its essence, um, but it seems to get people a long way. So I'm, I'm with you, Ryan. It doesn't make sense that it's worse than nothing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at these reasons, right? So, you know, I, I'm, I highlighted a couple of these, right? It's based on Carl Jung's ideas and Carl Jung wasn't a psycho- psychiatrist, right? He was into mythology and astrology. I'm like, okay, well, that's not a big deal. Like that's a lot of, you know, observing humans. Yeah. But then he talks about this predictive validity. It's not good at predicting outcomes, but it's, I think it's good at predicting patterns. And, you know, one of the other ones that I I really thought was interesting when you started talking about it is the poor reliability is that people score different when they take it a separate time. And I just recently, you know, Dan, I told you about this and, you know, the PI test I recently took. And what's PI stand for? What's that? What's PI stand for? Predictive index. And so I just retook it. And my result was a little bit different than the last time I took it, which was about seven years ago. But what was interesting is I was still in the main same category. But when I took the test, I just came back from vacation on Monday and the result training emergencies. Um, (laughs) But there was a whole bunch of training emergencies and a lot of fires everywhere. And I took it. And what was interesting, the test had me, you know, more directive and it had some of those big verbs. And I was like, well, yeah, because I was actually under stress at yeah, the time. So it's up. going mm-hmm. to be different. And I would argue though, overall, I go back to a normalized, you know, high stress, you know, a stress ball, but a normalized kind of person. And so I don't think these tests are going to be always reliable because it's going to be on what's going on in your life. But I think it always goes back to you pretty much stabilize. And that's where I think, I thought that just was an interesting reason. Number five, why Myers-Briggs was bad. Yeah. And, and you had said, maybe we can talk to you and a friend of yours about this uh, predictive index thing. I think that would be a great one to do. The other thing in this article that I thought was interesting too, is he talked about it with horoscopes. Do you guys, do you guys read your horoscope? No, uh, no, no, it's been a while. Never. It's been a while. Never. Well, Don't you lie on the Mosby podcast. Come on now. <laughs> what he was talking about, he made this example. He's like, first off, you know, people tend to believe that their horoscope describes them well, even when they're reading the wrong horoscope, because people want to want to believe into something. And he, mm-hmm. he talks about it a lot on these tests of Barnum statements, which I had never heard of. Kind of cool. I'm going to start using it, the Barnum statements, you know, where it uses a vague description to really give you ambiguity so people can read into it. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's not scientific on some of the validity, but at the end of the day, if people believe into it, then what's the harm? And he's saying there's a bunch of harm in this. And to Ryan, to go to your point, if people believe it, then why wouldn't we use it? Because that's what they're aligning themselves to. Yeah. 
Agreed. All right, man. Uh, one more, one more out of here, and then we got to move on because uh, we're gonna we're gonna what run was a short. I, 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 that was I, it. I told you I was gonna cut cut down the whole Myers Briggs side nice right job. there, right there. And uh, but I, I, I I'm just gonna end with I think it's super valuable to be retrospective into your behavior, and even if it's not from a testing perspective because the test costs money. I don't know. I think it's possibly beneficial to look back into yourself and possibly try to look into others and say, Hey, how is my behavior? How is my personality into the world? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with a, a wrong with a little self-reflection for sure. For sure. Uh, all right. Yeah, let's jump to the, uh, there's one that we pulled from, uh, from actually TD.org. It's uh, one of their ask a trainers. We're going to jump to that one right now. The first one we should clarify the first one. And again, these will all be found at mosby.ca slash zero three three. But that first article is from arrow magazine, a, uh, Aereo? Damn it. A R E O Ario magazine.com. But we'll, uh, we'll, you'll find the link, the, the link at mosby.ca slash zero three three. All right. So, uh, let's jump to ask a trainer goal setting. Interesting question comes in addressed to Julie, the, uh, the, the, the trainer in charge over there. Uh, dear Julie, uh, dear Julie, I manage a team of four. My direct reports have set their 2021 goals for the year, but some of those goals are already out of date based on how our organization's priorities have shifted and then a call back to 2020 which is obviously what happened there and then do we have any advice for how to help my team set relevant goals um, i thought this was an interesting way to kind of approach this because we are at the end of q1 um in mm-hmm. in 2021 mm-hmm. and if last year taught us anything is we don't know what the hell's happening tomorrow so when you've got an organization that needs to jump uh, just like everybody's organization did last year, how do you as a support function create your goals? Um, and uh, Julie, one of uh, the, the one of the things that Julie had highlighted in here was uh, um, we need to embrace shorter term, more agile goals like sprints. So we've got that flexibility and the nimbleness needed in an increasingly uncertain and volatile world. Yes. Uh, it so, sounds a lot like survival, which is never all that fun. Um, maybe, Ryan, I might jump over to you first on this one. Well, yeah. First thing would be define short, shorter term, right? So mm-hmm. if we're talking about quarterly, is, is Julie talking about monthly or I'm just – that would be my question. And my overall take would be why not have – you know, that marathon mentality when setting the goals and just be cognizant and realize that the route along that marathon could, you know, change drastically or end abruptly or whatever could happen. But I don't think, I don't necessarily think that we should shy away from setting those long-term goals, I guess. Adam, what say you? Yeah, no, I, I'm actually, I have to finalize my goals on Wednesday and we did a little different in our organization. I won't give you all the models and stuff uh, this year. We'd never done it this year before. So this is uh, near and dear to my heart right now, um, working with the team. And, you know, I, I like the approach we took. We actually got, um, instead of going from a top down, we gave more priorities and each individual employee is setting their own goals, which is really difficult and actually challenging, but I think it's going to end up in a much better place. Um, also too, you know, when I think about it, most businesses 
if you set a goal for a year, there's going to be pivots. So have a conversation about the pivots and update the goal. It should be a living, breathing document Mm -hmm. as the business changes, projects change, things change. It should be more constant check-in. So I agree with, what did you say? It was Julie? Julie, yeah, Julie. Julie. So I totally agree with Julie in kind of an agile format where, hey, you know, we, we may say, hey, we got to get this project, but COVID happened. So we shift and we talk. Um, I think the whole goal setting thing, though, was is outdated in the way a lot of companies do it, right? They do it and say, hey, January or February, we set our goals for the year and then we revisit them maybe at a mid-year or we revisit them at the end of the year. And that's the only time your manager talks to you about your performance. So I think it's goal setting is part of a larger management leadership type of conversation that needs to happen on a more regular basis Mm -hmm. with the employee. Yeah, there always seems to be a bit of a gap and, and goals is a tough one, you know, for me, um, you know, specifically when it comes to a, a, a small learning team, you know, which is, I have a team of four, there's me plus three, you know, so I, this, this kind of sounds quite familiar. And I think a lot of it comes with trying to align to, uh, it's still, it's still, it's still the alignment to what's the corporate, what is the North star for your corporation? You know, and I think, I think it's going to be very beneficial to have that. And sometimes you don't have that, but, um, the other thing that I think is, is really valuable is now, Adam, you had talked about kind of, uh, understanding the pivot and talking about the pivot. I think that's the piece that doesn't get done where, where it's like, well, maybe it does, but okay, here's the target we're going to set. And not if, or maybe, but it will get screwed at some point mm-hmm. and yeah. we will change this just like the, and you had kind of said, uh, Ryan adopting that marathon mentality. Uh, I think that's a good idea. Like you're going to be running for a long damn time and it may be in that direction, but it's probably not going to be, we're going to turn probably after the first five miles. So just get ready to turn. And then we'll just, when it happens, what happens. And you know, maybe, maybe we have to use a different platform. Maybe we're going to flip to articulate rise or, or maybe uh, everything has to be like hyper mobile. I don't know, but uh, you know, and um, it might be worthwhile actually brainstorming what those possibilities could be. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of companies that are re, reimagining goal setting, right? So when you think about the amount of, in even performance reviews, right? So like Google got rid of their their basically annual performance review. Um, there's a lot of tech companies that are getting rid of it, right? So when you think about that whole goal setting process, and we may have to Google it, but I believe it was GE and Jack Welch kind of decided was the founders of it you may have to go back into who who really sat at it but a lot of companies are getting rid of it for the amount of time and effort that it's taking when in reality it, it needs to be more agile it's it's short sprints like like julie was saying i'm spot on with julie i think that's the way to do it all right because, get a room you know, <laughs> but but it's a, it's an enormous chunk of time to all set these goals that are going to change when we should be talking as leaders with our with our people on a more regular basis and yeah. and then pivoting with the business i don't think i don't think there's many businesses granted i think in mortgage what i'm in is is definitely moves fast but i'd say a lot of businesses move pretty quick these days so what you said in January, the world looks different. The entire world looks different by December. So you you almost have to, you know, continue to update them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well another thing that's interesting is just seeing both sides of it. 
I spent a lot of my time in retail automotive. Um, so I started selling cars in college. So it's interesting to look at that model where it's, you're going to sell 18 cars this month and that's it versus now the last several years I've taken the leap into more of a corporate environment. And we do take a, I think a very flexible approach to the goal setting. And we do talk about it more than, you know, at the end of the year. Um, So I just think it's interesting to see both sides of it and realize that different um, industries do call for different sets of scenarios. But overall, the like uh, Adam said, the flexibility and the ability to pivot is uh, key. I think, uh, you know, I've heard. um, What is it? The. I want to say this, this story has got to be related to NASA somewhere. I heard some guy talking about this idea and it was the idea of assumed failure. Not that that's, you know, like a great life philosophy to have, but the, the idea was avoiding things like go fever, which is how the challenger ended up blowing up. Cause you don't want to be the guy that says, we're not, no, I don't think we're like, we're not ready. I don't think. Yeah. And it's like, well, hang on. We've got a rocket that needs to go in space. And you're telling me you're not sure you, you know, so it's, it's to avoid that sort of pressure of, we have to all say go. And he kind of devised this exercise where you tell people, okay, your mission, whatever that happened to have been your mission failed. It went really, really, really poorly. Now you got to tell me how that happened. Like, how did it go wrong? And so now you take it and you assume, okay, if it can fail, what are the ways that it can go fail? Like maybe there is like an, an offshore, uh, an offshore competitor that we didn't see coming because uh, I, you know, you, then you start brainstorming. What are the possibilities that could cause something to go sideways? Mm-hmm. And that kind of helps you prepare and root out real actual weaknesses that might not get addressed otherwise. And I think that might be an interesting exercise to, to go along with this idea of being agile. I know you can't predict the business, especially when you're maybe, you know, it's, it's you and, and three of your learning buds trying to figure shit out on, uh, on that, you know, the worm's eye view. But um, I think I like the idea of what are some various ways that our business can come to us? Like, I think I might actually have a meeting with my team now. Um, that's that something along the lines of what should we expect the business to come to us and say, this has changed drastically in direction X. What is X? What can it look like? What are the different things that we should expect? Like we no longer have our LMS. Um, we no longer can rely on PDFs. Like, I, I don't know, you know, but I think that that might be worthwhile to um, explore possibilities, which might make it a lot more palatable when it does change, you know? It's almost like doing a SWOT analysis, yeah, right? I was going to say the same is thing. That it's, it? Yeah. That's it's it, just, right? You I'm just good. talk about your strengths, your your weaknesses, your opportunities, and ultimately your threats, right? Like, what are we? What's a threat? And then, and then you have the threats that you know we all had this last year. Who would have thought of COVID, right? Yeah. And and so you, you you can't you know account for those. But yeah, it's it's a really good exercise too, thinking about what what can affect us, right? What yeah. is coming down the pipeline that really can affect our business and, and, and impact us. All right. Last, uh, last article here. Uh, do we want to talk about this design with the psychology? Got a lot of psychology talk tonight. Uh, psychology of success in mind. Um, now this was, 
We almost have like a repeating Forbes segment, and and I'm starting to regret this because maybe we shouldn't. But um, so this is this is an article written by uh, Stephen Dinan, who is uh, he's the founder and president of a enterprise learning platform. If you can imagine this, that he somehow got himself an article on Forbes, but because uh, that's every other flipping article on Forbes, it's from some CEO or CTO or some business like that. Um. But there were these four principles that uh, that this cat had called out uh, to try to, you know, make sure we're designing learning in appropriate ways. And uh, I just might highlight a couple things out of here. Again, mosby.ca slash 033, and you can find them all there. Um, the the first thing that he uh, he suggests you take into account is nurture a value for learning. Mm-hmm. Which on its face seems obvious. On its face. Um, I think the problem is the the time that needs to be take f- taken for learning is time away from productivity. You know? Um, and uh, I, I think it has to be material that's proven it's worth or that can kind of demonstrate ROI for business across the board to get on board with it. I think that's going to be a tough one. You know? Um, what else? There was, uh, there was a note in here kind of about, uh, under that same header, that nurturing of value for learning the, uh, continue, just kind of talking through continuous every day. Uh, so by regular come by regularly communicating and reinforcing the message that the learning is both a valued and valuable employees can assume permission to prioritize their learning and development for improved performance. So that's really the culture. It's a culture. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yep. Yeah, it's a culture. But does um, would a learning team have a culture of consistently demonstrating and explicitly listing a value prop for learning material? Like that, I think, is the part, like to really get down to the brass tacks mm-hmm. level, are you putting that in the description on the LMS? Are you talking about that with your business leaders or the clients when they bring in requests to you, say, what is the actual value? How can I pitch this to people that we need to take it? You know, because it's, uh, we, we've kind of, uh, me and Adam have casually joked before that, you know, there's a huge sales component to to training because you need to convince people to pay attention mm-hmm. and you got to put a carrot at the end of that thing. And I think it it goes over time, right? You know, I think there's like anything and, and I talk about that sales component, right? There's some of those, you know, when you're talking to executive leaders or leader, business leaders, business leaders that are, that are responsible for the business, it, there's some that are the early adopters. So like they're already bought in. They, they want the education. They're bought into it. That's just part of their culture on there. And then you have the opposite side of that spectrum or like, nope, they need to produce and that's taking them let's just say off the phones, right? They're not doing their job. And so you're never going to possibly get all of them, right? Um, But over time, you need to go from those early adopters who are like, the training department's the best and get that middle group and then keep chipping it away at the people by showing and delivering things that are valuable to the organization. And you may not get everyone, um, but over time you change it. And that's Ryan, I think that you hit the nail on the head. You change that culture. Um, because you don't, you can only go so many times as a, as a learning org and say, here's the numbers, here's the numbers. You actually need to get the buy-in from the, from the leadership. And it, I think it really just takes time to build that. 
Yeah, time and a lot of socialization and, yes. and changing culture. That's not easy. I mean, that's that's moving mountains. You, you, yeah, you, and you can't do it on your own. Like, you, <laughs> there's no one person that changes the culture. You know, you can well, just. I mean, yeah, you think about it, right? How many organizations have training that happens where you're like, oh, I got to do another training. Oh, I got to do another training. It's a lot of places and there's a lot of training. And yeah. so if you can get it to a point where people don't mind going to a training or like, hey, I'm looking forward to the training class, right? And um, like it takes t- it takes a long time because I've been in organizations where it's like, oh, this is horrible. I got to take another training. And I'm not talking compliance. Like we just have to do compliance. But it's like, ugh, you know, I have to take that training. And, and as, a, as a learning professional, it, if people are saying that, that's a problem and that's – you know, something you can need to work on. And Dan, to your point that that has to be consistent, you know, with the, the buy-in in terms of getting the buy-in, the ROI on that has to be consistent and, and meaningful to the people doing the training or else it'll fall off. You know, again, over time, that's a culture that's built. And if there's, if the content's not there, then it could fall off and it could change the culture. Yes, sir. Yeah, you got to you got to prove your worth every friggin' day. Um, all right, just one more point from this uh, this article, and then I'll let um, our fair listeners out there explore it on their own. the uh, The second point is support psychological safety. And you know, I was thinking about this when an obvious you know I've joked about training rooms being safe spaces where people can make mistakes. Um, uh, because really people are learning for the first time and with sales, you know, there's some people with some healthy egos that, that happen to be strong sales people. So Never. they don't want to be, they don't want to walk into a training, training session at a new place in front of their potential mm-hmm. peers that they're probably actually better than, um, and, and, and look stupid. Like you don't want that. Right. So you got to kind of break the tension <laughs> a little bit there. Um, so that, that's one piece of it. The other thing uh, around this kind of psychological safety piece, I think is an approach to how people talk about stuff and, uh, occasional, uh, co-host, uh, Eli Barant, um, brought a phrase to my world. It might, he said he borrowed it from somewhere. Couldn't say where, uh, he's, he's got a lot of smart, uh, smart stuff in his head. Doesn't always have the source, but, um, if you attack the person and not the argument, the argument is right. Uh, because we see, you know, this is a great time to be alive if you want to get into a freaking argument. But the, if, if you see somebody that's attacking a person as opposed to the things that the person's saying, there's a good chance that the things that the person's saying are probably valid or at least have some validity and they don't want to address those real things. But this idea of psychological safety, I think has to exist um, in, in a place where we can beat the hell. We can beat the absolute hell out of ideas. Uh, but that requires if, if, if someone is going to enter an arena where that's possible, they have to be willing to separate themselves from ideas that the idea is not them. So, you know, you, you believe in slogan X. Well, I think slogan X is actually really stupid and harmful and it's a real problem. And I'm going to tell you why. Now, that's not attacking the person that's attacking the slogan. But 
we shouldn't pretend that there's not a good chance that that person, you know, is probably going to say, well, you're, you're attacking me. Um, but well, when you say the word stupid, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a psychological safety in that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, but I think that we seem to have tied ourselves as a, as a friggin' species we've tied ourselves to the ideas that are in our head and i think if we want to have any psychological safety we have to recognize that we are not the ideas in our head we are us and those ideas exist outside of us as well and we should be able to beat those things up so i really think that the psychological safety thing is a race to the bottom of everybody being in a bubble uh, I, I don't think there's a way around that you, you know you don't want to be able to attack people you shouldn't be attacking people but if we're going to have real healthy discussions about stuff and those things have to happen in training rooms, sometimes we should be able to talk about them and, and, you know, have everybody willing to kick ideas around. Yeah. But I'm going to go back real quick to the, what Ryan said about culture, you know, I've been in a lot of sales organizations, right. And mm -hmm. it's really interesting in sales organizations when you really look at them, there's some organizations that role playing, right. And then it, it that oh, I hate role playing. I, I, role playing sucks, right? Like I, I don't mm. want to role play. And there's other organizations that embrace the practice and they embrace the let's let's pivot, let's let's do it. And everybody gets in it from from top leadership to everything. And I, I remember when I got into pharmaceuticals, the top area managers, the regional managers we had, they would get right in there and role play with us and get right into it. But it goes back to that culture of hey. We're focused on the pitch and selling the drug, right? It wasn't about like, hey, Adam, you're stupid. It was, all right, hey, let's tweak this word. Let's really get into the wording. Mm -hmm. Let's get into the scripting. But they were right there with it. So the open ideas of the entire culture of the organization was we were going to be the best sales force in in the history of pharma. And we did. We, I mean, we went from a blockbuster to a blockbuster, which is very, very hard to do in the same disease space. But everybody practiced Everybody constantly had that safety net that we would practice and we would give each other feedback. But it was even when I got into the field, I'm thinking of the story is when I got into the field, I would just call up other reps around the country. And before I went into a doctor, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to pitch them on this and talk through this. And mm -hmm. here's what I'm going to say. Boom, boom, boom. Because and they would just come right back as a doctor. So everybody was role playing and it made that safety where no one's thinking you're dumb. It just, it was part of that culture. Yeah, that's a great example of role-playing. And, mm -hmm. you know, last year with the shutdown, we did a lot of that role-playing. Now it, it went on to, to Zoom. So it's right. a little bit of a different uncomfortableness. But yes. when you have that unsaid agreement, if you will, where it's all fair game and we're all in this to get better and we're all going to say something that probably, you know, doesn't sound good or we sound stupid, but we'd rather say that here than in front of a client yeah. uh, and, you know, sharpen our tools. So it, that's a great example of, of what we're talking about. Uh, Ryan, can I ask you, um, and, and we'll just kind of put a close to that, that other article and just kind of keep talking about role playing. Cause I think that's probably a more meaningful conversation to have. Mm -hmm. um, I was thinking about this earlier because I don't like role playing and I know it, it works great. Um, and I think that there's a level of embarrassment that comes with it. Even, even, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like, I'm afraid to look stupid, but I just feel embarrassed doing like role playing or pretending a little bit. Is there a way 
to to get past that because that's got to be like i think once you get past that it might be like being like part of an improv troupe i don't know where you just kind of live it and, and and let it be but how do you get past that initial sort of embarrassment when it comes to role play the best way at least for me and my experience you're talking about with another teammate getting them to maybe embrace it or somebody you're training, getting them to embrace the role, act of role playing. I think being vulnerable yourself and maybe making, not trying to do it perfectly and, and make those mistakes so that they see that, oh, like he's not that great. I could do this. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's the right approach, but it is. It's tough because I, at one time too, was very just reluctant and uh, was not comfortable role-playing. And, you know, again, it's just something that over time you do, you know the culture and you become more comfortable with it. It makes you better. But if you're working with someone who is not, hasn't never been exposed to that practice before, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, it it, uh, it really is. And I've I, I like I used to be in before I did any sort of training stuff. I used to be in retail sales, just, you know, um, I worked for the office supply company that will not be named here. But um, it, it just anytime we did those sort of uh, sales based conversations, I just felt silly the whole time. And maybe that there's something uh, I really think that that's that's a valuable uh a valuable note for any facilitators or trainers that are listening out there for that initial demonstration where you trot it out to don't do a good job and demonstrate the the behavior, but include mistakes in there. Uh, I, I think that's that's pretty pretty serious suggestion. I like that, Adam. What do you think about that? No, I, I, I think, think it's stupid. Don't you say that? <laughs> There's nothing safe there. Um, no, I think it's it, it's one of those things where I, you know, if you're a professional in something, and I, I was looking it up um, real fast, that's why I kind of got silent there for a minute. Um, and I believe it's VJ saying it may be Tiger Woods, right? It may be one of the two. But after every round, doesn't matter if they're playing in the majors or they they're playing at, um, you know, the biggest TPC tournament, right? It doesn't matter. After every round that they do, they go and they hit a hundred putts. Dudes already won. The guys mm-hmm. are the best there is. They're the best in there. But mm-hmm. what do they do? They go and practice putting right back to it so when they're in the big with the big game with the customer when they're in that scenario or they had that idea they're ready to talk about it or they're ready to do it and um you know i think that that's the the importance of role playing is that you're just practicing and i always think it's funny in sales like people are like oh i don't want to role play well how many customers are you talking to how many practices are you getting how many at bats are you getting right Mm -hmm. why do people and I, i it's bad to always take this sports analogy but in the same sense you know why is a, a batter going to a batting cage? Because they're practicing their craft. And, you know, the same thing with the putter, right? Is it, you're going back and you're practicing. And that's the really the only way in sales to get better is to just practice. Um, at least what I found and what I, what, I, what I believe on there. Those are great examples, but I don't know that they always relate to people that you're training or working with there's you know there's something there to dan's point where he's saying he's never been comfortable with it there's something there that you know i think we you know 
I, the, I'm not nowhere on your guys level as a trainer, but when I do do training, I think I can do a better job of trying to break down those walls because there's a barrier there that I think is not allowing people to achieve their full potential. But don't you think that the being uncomfortable is a good thing? Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. So like, I, I still think people get value out of it, even if they're uncomfortable. Yeah. So they just, they got to do it. Right. So do it a couple times, let them take their lumps and it gets easier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you may not like it, but you know, no, I, I think it, yeah, yeah. it's true. Yeah. I just think, I think when you, when you put people in uncomfortable situations, they find a way to do it. Um, and because I haven't done a lot of, uh, role-playing in training, what do you, where do you guys stand, Ryan? I'll start with you. Where do you stand on using scripting, uh, like provided scripting to somebody Mm -hmm. as the base layer? Like just, just let's start by just reading these words out loud in front of another person. I think it's a useful tool. I think it can be a starter and it can allow them to, if that's the the baseline, again, if that's the baseline, it's just a repetition for them to be more comfortable with the overall scope. And if you explain prior, obviously, we, you know, you're not going to sound like a robot. You're going to develop your own word tracks, but this is going to help you give you the basis of what the end product will be or what the end outcome will be. So I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of doing it that way. What's, what's some stuff that you've seen that you'd probably avoid, you know, having been maybe on both sides of it, both the, uh, the, the helping other people get their head around it and then having people kind of help guide you as well. Anything that you've seen when it comes to, uh, role-playing that you would just avoid? I would avoid not letting the people know what's in it for them. So you know, if you're going to do that role playing, explain first why you're doing it and what the end goal is. Okay. Because I think it will, you know, it can help the the end result. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that uh, I, that that makes sense. And it's always kind of nice to have that vision again, that north star. Like, what are we driving at? What are you actually trying to accomplish? And maybe it's retire or retiring earlier. You know, maybe it's a little more tangible. Maybe yeah, sometimes a, if you set a, a, a set a timeline on it too, I've done that where, hey, you're not going to get this in the first session. So this is, we're going to be, this is a eight weeks, you know, we're going to be doing this every week and let them know that they don't have to get it. They don't have to nail it the first time. I think that helps as well. Hmm. Very nice. Um, Adam, any other, uh, any other words from you around no. role play or what does or doesn't work? No, I, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in scripting, um, done right. And so, you know, when I, when I think about scripting, actually, you know, there's big script of Palooza's, you know, all the top, uh, mortgage people go to it and it's with mortgage coach. They do this, the top in the nation of any company, not just our company, any company in the nation, they all go through this scripting exercises and they talk, they call it scriptapalooza and it's, you know, how to talk to customers and everything. They do it annually. And, um, 
I think if it's done right from a scripting side, and what I mean by that is it's not, let me write it out and then talk to a customer or a client exactly what I'm going writing out, right? It's almost like how I prepare for a presentation. It's what are the main bullets? What are the main points? What am I trying to accomplish with it? And really articulating that down. And, you know, some of the filler words may be different, but it's if I'm going through a, a sales pitch or a sales conversation, those main points should be in every sales conversation or or I'll have branching type scenarios into that script, right? A customer says this, I go this way. If a customer says that, I go that way. And so I think it's just mm-hmm. invaluable to really write that stuff down and get it out of your head. And the more you do that, I, I think at least when, when I was doing it and in actual sales, it was so valuable. Um, Myers-Briggs was valuable. Also personality types. All of those things were just tools in your tool belt to make you better than the person who's just winging it. And, you know, if you're competing with somebody who's just waking up every day and goes, I was born a salesperson, I can talk to anybody. I guarantee you that person who's scripting, that's understanding the different tools, understanding their sales process, and who's going to win out in the long term. And um, this is my personal opinion. You can put the work in, it'll come out um, from there. Um, I, I really want to underscore your idea of writing things down. Because until you put it on paper, it, it might as well not exist. You know, it's it's in your head for a flash and then it's gone. Now you really need to invest in, in putting that on paper. And, well, well and that comes into play, I think, more so with objection handling than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, the scripts are awesome for both for both maybe an interview question where you're trying to uh, you know, get information from the potential client, but more so if you have scripts and it could be you get one objection and now you have six scripts on how to handle that objection or different ways to go based off of the information that they provided you on the interview. And that's where role playing and knowing those scripts is extremely important in, again, a sales conversation, you want it to be conversational. So you have to have those and be able to pivot when when those certain uh, objections come up. Far out. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you guys both for uh, kind of sharing your uh, uh, sharing your thoughts around role play. And uh, we were all mature enough to not bring up chaps in this. So that was <laughs> I mean, kudos. Kudos all I was around. what was coming yeah, out. Me too. <laughs> I was like, okay, we're going to talk about role play. I saw that in a notes document going into this. I'm like, oh boy, it's going to be a rough one. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Um, so uh, if you, uh, anybody out there, if you're looking for the show notes from this again, mosby.ca slash zero three three, you can email us at mosbylearning at gmail.com. And as you have heard, Adam is just all over that thing. He is like, like white on rice. It's incredible. Watching it. Um, uh, Adam, where do you want people to, uh, to follow you and, and all the interesting things that you, uh, occasionally say TikTok, Dan, TikTok. no, I'm not, we're not promoting. We TikTok. are promoting TikTok. No, it's, the best, it's the best social media. No, LinkedIn's fine. Just Adam Costics on LinkedIn. Uh, if anybody chooses to connect there. Very good. Uh, Ryan, uh, Ryan Anderson, where, are, where are people looking for you? LinkedIn is also a great place. So there's a lot of Ryan Andersons out there, but uh, probably have a mutual friend in in Dan and Adam. So there you go. That's where you can find me. Connect heavy. 
and uh, yeah, connect early, connect often. All right, so we'll we'll look for you on LinkedIn, and uh, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the better spot for me as well. Uh, last name is H I R T, but uh, yeah, I don't know how many of me there are, but one's enough, I think. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for taking the time. Be good to yourselves and good to each other, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.